Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hey, and welcome back to the Jesus Said Love podcast. I am here in a gloomy, tornadic Waco, Texas, while Emily is sitting in <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky. Hello. How you do? How you doing? Did I say it wrong? Yeah, you said it wrong. So it's I'm learning it's Louisville. Louisville. Lu- yeah, it's called Lou City, which I actually like because you know we have our own Lulu. Yep. So. I like that it's called Lou City. The bringer of light city. You know, because Lucy, Lucy, yes. Lucy means bringer of light. That's right. Yep. Lou City. So what? So we've been talking about parenting the past couple of podcasts. What are you doing in Louisville? Yeah. So Hattie's in a volleyball tournament. So we've just been burning up the courts and, you know, doing our thing with the whole hotel. Really, we've seen more of the convention center than we see it a lot, but... We just got the afternoon off and we went to Lexington and did the first like horse races that we've ever been to, which was quite the cultural experience. <laughs> so I, I, the first question that is rising up in me is, did you put any money down on anything? <laughs> no. So this place is called Keeneland, I think is K-E-E-N-E-L-A-N-D. And you paid five bucks to get in. And basically I this is like the equivalent in my mind, and this may offend some people. I don't know, but um, it's kind of like NASCAR for really rich people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's ba- or like tailgating. I mean, there were so many like drunk people that we had to like avoid getting beer spilled on us or things like that. But they're dressed really nice. Are they like, wearing the hats that you see at the thing at the Derby? Yeah, so not everybody was wearing the hats, but a lot of people were wearing hats. I love and that. It's like it's like it was cool. Britain of the South. Yeah, it was a, it was a good cultural experience. You know, I think everybody probably needs to experience like what that space is like. You know, because it's a real thing. It drew tons of people. Okay, so you left here on Thursday. Today is Saturday, <clears throat> and I'm sure all you've done is just be a mom. And be a volleyball supporter, and you've been 100% all-in, volleyball mom, go Hattie, and that's all you've been Mm -hmm. doing for the past 36 hours. Well, I wish in some ways I could say that, but the truth is is that, you know, the work of the kingdom continues, and there are still so many women in need, and uh, we had one of our access graduates, um, who's been in about three months of pretty hardcore relapse. And so we've just been navigating what resourcing her recovery options look like. And, um, our best laid plans really fell this weekend. And 
it's just heartbreaking, you know, to watch someone that you see making so much progress and that you really believe in, um, human trafficking survivor. I mean, just a heartbreaking story, but, um, yeah, so my time has been, my heart has been a little bit, you know, longing. I I have been very present at all the games. I will say that I've been very present in all the games, but when we've come back to the hotel room or we've been in the car, I've, I've had to navigate some systems for, um, and with, and conversations with my friend, Linda. I will say this about you, babe. You are good at being present. (laughs) And in the midst of what we do, I think that's really a good thing and a gift to our kids and whoever you're being present with. So, yeah, I, I do. I do love to be very present. So I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot how to just remain and let go of what I can't control. And, um, yet the responsibility, I think that's the thing I have to probably work the hardest on is not feeling responsible for when things fall through. Right. So Linda is going to be the focus of our visit today. Yeah. And um, why don't you uh, kind of set us up and take us to what's been going on the past couple of days? Yeah. So I want to take you guys into a conversation with Linda that we had in my car. Um, I have been watching her relapse for the past three months. Um, She is an incredible nurturer. She's an incredible caretaker. And probably the most exciting thing that we watched was her kind of get her dream job when she graduated access that she had tried, tried as a, you know, as a felt to apply for in the past as a healthcare kind of, um, practitioner, nurse's aid, um, type situation. And, uh, she finally landed that job after maintaining sobriety for the longest she ever had, which has been about three years that she's maintained Mm sobriety and landed this job was doing really great. Um, some things in our access program came up regarding grief, grief surrounding, uh, the death of one of her family members, one of her children. And it really, really just spiraled out of control, uh, from that point on once that wound was uncovered and she really wasn't quite sure what to do with it, except to go back to the very thing that got her, um, soothed, which was meth and heroin. So, um, this, this is a conversation that I had with her after she was picked up by the cops. Uh, and she now has a really uh, just hard criminal situation going on, um, legally with her and her choice is really prison or rehab. I mean, that was her choice when she got picked up and, Mm. She, she called me from jail. Um, I didn't bail her out. We, we didn't bail her out, but someone did. And then she called me. And so we began kind of doing the attorney's office and trying to check on recovery homes or recovery programs, medical detox, like what would she need? She has very compounded health issues. But one of the things that I think is important for us to listen to as Linda tells her story, this is a conversation that she wanted recorded because she said, I want people to know what it takes for long-term recovery to happen. And it was just, you know, I think for all of us who work in this space or who, you know, a lot of us have addicts in our lives or we understand people who've been touched by addiction and impacted by addiction. But 
we really kind of in our minds sometimes can think, well, why don't you just get your act together? Why right. can't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and why can't you just do this 28 day program and do the right thing and just move on with your life? Like, don't you want a job? Don't you want a family? Don't you want a real, you know, and yes, yes, they do. But the trauma is so deep that, that actually the drug isn't really the originator of the problem. And so, so it's, so it's also not the solution because you can treat a somewhat a physiological, you know, or symptomatic type thing. But if you don't get to the real root of the problem, which we believe at JSL, it's, it's family, it's belonging, it's community. community. And, and if you don't get to that, and if you can't solve that, I mean, that is what Christ came to restore that we are adopted as children of God, that this is the kind of order that God came to restore. And so if we as the church, if we as people of faith aren't understanding what it takes to be community, be family for people who don't have any, then it's hard. And I'm going to say it's real hard when they're 48 years old. Hmm. It's real hard to be family to a 48-year-old whose life is wrecked. And, And wouldn't you say it's just incredibly inconvenient? Oh, inconvenience. People just want to be comfortable. You know, at, <laughs> yeah. at, at the end of the day, all of us want comfort because it's what we know. And you know what? That's the same thing the addict wants. Mm. That's the same thing a drug user wants is comfort because it doesn't take as much energy. But we actually were made to disrupt systems of injustice. We were made to do the hard things, but we just don't feel like we're capable of it. And so you'll hear that come across in Linda's story and you'll hear what I want you guys to understand. And what I want our listeners to see is when JSL thinks of long-term vision for what recovery for women in addiction and sex exploitation looks like, Linda has the answers. Mm -hmm. She's got the answers. And so I just want you to listen to this conversation in the car that I had. And I just even take notes. I want to know, what do you hear when you hear her voice? What do you hear when she says certain things? You're going to, you're going to hear about loss. You're going to hear about woundedness, like coming out in the open and how hard that is to deal with it. You're going to hear about grief. You're going to hear about jail. You're going to hear about the recovery 28 day, like expectation for you to get your life together and then move on. Why sober living environments work for some people, maybe why they don't for others and what you need to do to be ready for that. Um, and yeah, you're just, you're going to hear about what it, what it means to live and to have that longing for a community of people that are for you. Um, so I hope, I do hope you enjoy it, but more than anything, I hope you're challenged by it and I hope you grow a space for love in your heart as you listen to Linda's message for us. And I think, um, am I right in saying that as you guys are having this discussion, she is high on drugs? Yeah. So that is important to note. Um, she is high. She, uh, was coming down, um, a little bit. This was right after she got out of jail and wasn't sure where she was going to go. And we were actually, and I just, you know, fold people into your life. That's, that's just my thing. I'm like, you know, if they want to talk like, Hey, let's get in the car and you're going to go to these appointments. And so we were actually doing like a news interview thing for 
wild torch and she sat in the car uh, right outside the news station while we, we went in and, and did it. And, you know, it was like, it's just, Hey, JSL, <laughs> it's just, it's just what we're doing, you know? Right. Okay. Well, um, so we're going to listen to a conversation between Emily and Linda and, uh, we'll be back with you in a little bit. This is what I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been using since 1981. Hey, I've been using the needles since 1989. Mm-hmm. And I know I've been in so much recovery. And what I see is that you go in there and you get all this Jesus, you get all this healing, and it's great. Then you're, most of the ones I've been in, you're out. You don't have a job. You don't mm-hmm. have any money. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have family support, which I don't because I burnt mm-hmm. all my bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, where or do you they, go? And they burnt your bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Or, the, the very family that you would go back to that, are, are the people that trafficked you. And some people have family to go and help them from where they're at to mm-hmm. get keep going good, and that's great. Yeah. Some people don't. Yeah. And so I would. So what do you, what do you do? You don't have no money. You're desperate. You're out there. You go into back to the old ways, survivor mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not good. Yeah. So no one will let you in the door. You you your intentions are to do good and stay clean. But when there's no offer out there for you to get a job, or you got all these stuff on your record, you can't get a job. You usually go back to that life. So that is just the, the longest you've ever stayed sober was this last time. Three years. And that was because, mainly because I had I had long-term, well, I went from long-term, and then I went to Victoria, which is great as a, as a they're not, not for recovery. I wouldn't use them for recovery somewhere where I'm at right now because I would leave and go find a job right now if I was at, at Victoria. If you were in Victoria, for but, a perpetual help home. Yeah, but sober living home, they're great. Okay. If you're at that level, you got to be at that place in your Pretty life. Pretty independent. I was at that place in my life. Yeah. I did get clean for three years. Yeah. But then when I came, when my daughter died and I came to Waco, mm-hmm. I, if I wouldn't have had access, mm-hmm. I probably would have already been dirty yeah. before that. Yeah. But because that program kept me going and mm-hmm. kept me thriving on Jesus and thriving mm-hmm. on wanting to be clean mm-hmm. because I had a, mo- I had a motivation, mm-hmm. I stayed clean through that. I did not relapse. I still had the same problems. Mm-hmm. With I still had the same grief. I didn't relapse until so after the... So after Access, then you got a great job. You were living with your grandmother. I messed, that you still used I because... messed up. Well, utilize counselors because I have trust issues. Yeah. Okay. And I'm still working on that. So I thought I could... When I used, I realized I, I messed up because I messed up my neck. Mm-hmm. And I was scared. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to act like this never happened because mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint my people. And if people know about it, they're all going to be like, I, I'm going to end up going back. So mm-hmm. I just try to act like it never happened. Mm-hmm. Then at work, that's really what happened. Mm-hmm. So I had only been using maybe a couple times. And I did the needle one time, got scared to death. I probably would have continued using the needle if, it if I would have got it. But when my neck did that, I was scared to death. So I didn't use a needle no more after that. I just smoked one time. Only on my days off. I never, only my days off, and that was maybe two weeks. So two weeks I was into relapse. <clears throat> and I could kind of take it, really, honestly, when I'm smoking it, I could take it or leave it mm-hmm. pretty much on, on that um, because I just can't. So anyway, with all that recovery and all that, that I still came to JSL and I was still working mm-hmm. at the thing. I knew I had... I knew I had to meet a certain level that I could not go back that way because I had no motivation. I had a job that I loved, mm. had JSL that I loved, had all that that I loved. But when my investigation came up with my job that had nothing to do with anything that I did, mm. but because the investigation required me to do a drug test, I was in my third day mm. of being clean and I got 
I was past uh, dirty, so I lost my job. Mm. So when I lost my job, to me, that's just that was Her, it. Yeah, it was it. I that saw it. you fall harder that was than it. you've ever fallen. I haven't been happy since. Then. Yeah, because to me, I gave it. I worked so hard to get that job back. Yeah, and you were so good at it. You were the best they'd have. Yeah. He yeah. and I disappointed myself. And I disappointed so many people, and I didn't care anymore. And then I had been dealing so much with it. My relatives, while I'm living with my grandma, everything, anything went wrong, they would accuse me. And up to that point, I wasn't even guilty. Mm -hmm. But in their mind, I was. And so I started, when I lost my job, I'm like, well, I'm going to really look bad now. And I just went downhill and felt like that, you know, man, I'm being accused of all this stuff, you mm -hmm. know, and I didn't want to live with my grandma no more. I was planning to get out anyway. I was trying to save up money to get out. And um, so I wasn't kicked out. I decided to move out. But they told me if you move out, you can't come back. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's when I, you know, mm -hmm. took Leo's. Mm -hmm. And then so from there I got into, I went mm -hmm. just downhill from mm -hmm. all of that. To me, when I lose something that means so much to me or something that I love, to me, is is um, is over in my head, mm. and I continue to lose. I mean, you know, the small time I'm fixing to lose my cat. Mm -hmm. Everything I love, I lose. I almost mm -hmm. don't want to go to rehab because of my cat. I know well, it sounds crazy, but no, it's not crazy because pets she's the only important. one that really loves me, like my cat. Yeah, pets are important. We and see that all the time. Like last night, I was going to get to see. I thought, man, this is great, God. This is you. I can see my daughter and my baby and. Try to explain to her where she don't think that I relapse. Because if the things are relapse, I'll never have a chance. <laughs> She'll get. I just don't have a chance. And so I thought, well, maybe I can just see her or not. And then that was just like teasing me. Mm -hmm. You know, I ended up not getting to because. And so now I know, like, I'm fixing to go. I'm not going to even get to see my grandbaby. My grandbaby, so I'm really close. It's not. I was so involved with her life. Like, I was getting to keep her all the time. I was really close to her. Mm -hmm. And I'm, they're to me all I got right now mm -hmm. here. And so I feel like, in a way, I'm I'm gaining and I'm losing at the same time. Yeah. But so, well, so what you're trying to say for recovery? Because I think your biggest fear going to this short-term rehab is that I'm giving up. I'm, again, even though my home life situation isn't the best, mm -hmm. it's still a home. Right. And I'm giving it up today, knowing that I can never come back to it. Right. Okay. So after 30, 28 days. I don't have a guarantee of what's going to happen to me. Yeah. So I almost don't want to go to recovery because of that. Yeah. Not because I don't want to get better. In a perfect world, what does long-term recovery look like for women just like you who have been right where you're at? Women that there is, to me, there's a difference between being addicted and being, to me, I'm probably one of the worst, one of the worst addicts. I mean, I know that my addiction is so far gone and I've done it for so many years I know what it's going to take for me and honestly if I'm honest with myself I know that I have to be connected and have accountability not so much in an institutionalized mm -hmm. program but I have to I might can work up phases but I have to always be accountable to someone or I will use mm -hmm. and I know that's where I'm at in my life so responsibility so long-term housing Long term. Definitely. You, you would say, yes, a medical detox, yes, 28 day, but then after that, at that you same location. So, so if you could create one location. It'd be about a place about this big. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't it? If Wait, we're looking at start, a hospital. Yeah, and it would, start with, it would start with levels. You've got detox, mm -hmm. then you work up so far, then you got the next program. I would say after detox, you could do something like access. That but would you be. You think after your 28 days? 
Yeah, for sure. after de- after tw- after thirty days, I would do after maybe even after ninety days. Yeah, I, because I think after detox, is some hardcore. people yeah do ninety day program and then because you want to be completely yeah, ninety days yeah. because a lot of stuff comes up healing that yeah. if you're not ready you could go back to that drug exactly and that's exactly what happened to my daughter. Yeah, Nick, I Nick. know. So, so I think maybe you need to be summer so- sober, maybe even three months. Yeah, is that thirty, sixty, ninety, three? Yeah, three months. So ninety yeah. days. Maybe do a. I wouldn't say uh, maybe do a. And then some of access, I would say you need start introducing it. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. not get into the really hard healing stuff until mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. because that's when that's when. But I was at a good place because I had three years clean, so I could handle that. Mm-hmm. See, right? But I needed to continue it. Yes. What and happened so, was wounds were getting open. The healing was happening, mm-hmm. and. When I left, the the it's kind of like fly the nest. You're on your own. So those thoughts and those wounds are still open. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to, by what I learned, I've got to learn. I've got to put. I've got to get it healed mm-hmm. with me and God. And there's some people that are just not ready or strong enough for that. Mm-hmm. And because I'm numbing because I'm hurting, and mm-hmm. I'm also numb because I feel like I also self medicate. Mm-hmm. I feel like that. Me being on methamphetamines are the only thing that keeps me and me and normal. I have mm-hmm. to go use in order to go do anything. Like mm-hmm. today, I'm not because I didn't have choices. So mm-hmm. I've done cracked up today. I've done screamed at people. And I've done everything else. And normally, I won't do that because I don't want to hurt people. Yeah. You didn't hurt me. You know, when you were well, your life you I would have stayed home and just got high because yeah. I knew I wasn't at the weight place to go anywhere. Yeah. But I didn't have a choice. I had to... I had a time, I had an appointment, and I had to meet it yeah. because I'm legally now in trouble. Yeah. Jail is not the answer for people. No. Jail makes you hard and mad. Yeah. Jail, as I can see, I was, I know now that I have cops were asking me questions and doing things that they illegally, illegally they weren't supposed to do. I just was told about that, my lawyer. So I don't even trust, I really don't trust now. Yeah. <laughs> Because after they arrested you, they detained you for hours and interrogated you, tried to get you to give up information. And And he tells me, yeah, they'll drop the charges off, but he don't advise that I go be a spy for them. They Mm -hmm. want me to be a spy for them, you know that? Dangerous. But anyway, so it's like I feel like that long term means recovery is forever, Mm -hmm. forever. Even if you have 10 years, you might have a program where you've got housing for people that have yeah. had five years plus clean. Right. There's levels. You like don't little put, cottages with women yeah. and children. And you put them at levels. You don't put a person just coming off the street off of drugs with a person that, with, that's had five years clean. I mean, they may be good mentors, but there's, that, yeah. that would cause, that person could trip up and fall, though. Yeah. From that. You know, I had three years clean, and I relapsed. Of course, I saw the guy. I, I relapsed by seeing somebody, mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, you want to go get high? You know, he if I wouldn't run into that person, but I was, I can do bad by myself, mm-hmm. but I was already in relapse mode. Mm-hmm. I was already in relapse mode because I was grieving. Yeah. And yeah, now it's physical. Yeah. I don't even have to be in any mode pretty much now. Right now I'm, it's a physical, I'm feeling physical now. Mm-hmm. I'm physically, if I don't get the drug, I'm going to hurt for the rest of the day and mm-hmm. not until Friday. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going to hurt because then I'm going to be in a, in a rehab mm-hmm. that's going to detox me. But mm-hmm. it's it's still, it's gonna be just as bad. But at least I won't go. Get, I, the only thing they do about that is I can't go get the drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could walk out of there though. <laughs> that's yeah. scary, poor. Yeah. But I I won't because I <laughs> I I'm, not everyone is 
motivated like I am, I'm motivated on motivation, if that makes any sense. I can be encouraged and know that I'm loved and encouraged, and love and encouragement can keep me somewhere. Yeah. And keep me off the streets. And that's and that's weird because even through the physical pain, if I really feel like I'm loved and I'm cared for and this person's got me and they're gonna take care of me as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, then I, I can I can get clean by that. And I see that in you and I see that in other women because the truth is that's what traffickers and pimps use to keep you in the habit. But they use love the, we're looking all for looking for love, but it's the wrong kind of love. Yes. Yeah. And so if you've got somebody who's like, Baby, I'll take care of you, baby, I'll give you a house, I'll give you you just do this, this and this and you'll take it. That's kinda of what I'm doing right now. But yeah. I'm having to give myself up every day to him yeah. to get to get back whatever I need. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean pack it doesn't matter what you know, I try so I try to like not have to get anything from him so mm-hmm. I don't feel like I owe him and then and then that just causes more problems because then I'm not taken care of mm-hmm. so I I just want to live a normal life where you know and my situation is I'm 50 years old and I have so many health problems that I pretty much will be lucky to even live to see 55 if mm-hmm. I has even passed and I you're 50 um, well I'm 48, 48 I don't know 48. how old I am <laughs> I don't know I really don't Some people what say year I'm were you born I'm 71 so I think okay. I'm 48 but you know I was given a year and a half ago now I was given you know anywhere from two to four years and mm-hmm. so that's reality but I know God can heal me but Honestly, sometimes I pray that God won't. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do. Because I don't want to live life like this for the rest of my life. I can't, I can't even enjoy my grandkids. I can't mm-hmm. enjoy my daughter. Mm-hmm. To me, life has nothing but hurts every single day. And now I'm institutionalized, and apparently I'm not going to be able to live outside that. But I don't want to go to jail. No. Jail is not rehab. No. Jail, if anything, what jail does is makes you makes you want to use when you get out yeah i had a needle in my arm when i got out 12 years ago mm. i had a needle in my arm and i could still see the towers at gatesville i could still see it wow. i already had a needle in my arm for how it, where'd you get it from the girlfriend that picked me up wow just ready to use because right i didn't have recovery set up right yeah. afterwards and um i had wrote a lot of people and grace house mm. was one of them and, mm. and my letters went to there's another grace house here in waco somewhere a church mm. and my letters went to the wrong place and that's just a testimony in itself so I just thought, well, see, they don't even care. So why am I mm. here? So I didn't have a choice but the person that picked me up. And I knew that she still did dope. And she had it ready for me. So wow. and that was after years and years and until wow. there I go. Yeah. You know. And I knew I had to be with her. Right. Because I had nowhere else to go. So it's just. Well, I, I dream of a long-term you have a place like this someday. Of recovery. There's a lot of police. <laughs> this is actually a retirement home. So please, please start working on that because I'm going to have to live in this section of retirement. Oh I will be the I, old lady over here in this little... You know, the interesting thing, I did this silent <coughs> retreat at this monastery, which is like a place where nuns live, right? So over the summer I went and, and they follow this Benedictine monk order where it's like... You work together, you eat together, and once you become a nun, they don't ever send you out to hospice or out to a nursing home. They, you stay with them. Oh well. By and they are by your side until you take your last well, breath. Well, I'd probably be a nun. Would probably be a little good thing for me to be. 
And please don't have to worry about it. But what was so beautiful about it is that, and here's an, here's an interesting thing too, is that they said in the 19, oh, what was it, 19, well, when they started 1930s maybe, the convent in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, <coughs> there were 300 nuns. Mm-hmm. They're down to 33 now. They're oh, having wow. to sell their building. So there was 300 sisters living together, working together, taking care of their community and the community in Fort Smith and selling goods to the public. This is what it's supposed to be, I think, though. Yeah, and and now it's dwindled to 30, which I'm sure some of that's about the the church and Catholicism and stuff like that. But the beauty of that is, you know, like, they take care of each other. And And I think for women who have been so traumatized by their birth families even or been out on the streets we're all looking for family and for community and that's why I'm scared to let my family even sees that you know the first thing my mom said the other day when I talked about this I'm so glad you got Emily in your life to help you because Mm -hmm. they know that they can't really give me what I need but they know I've got good people Mm -hmm. and they stand behind y'all on that Mm -hmm. and you know so that's that's because that to me is encouraging for me because my family are they've never liked anyone they didn't think anyone that I had in my life was good mm-hmm. for me and I know that they approve and I know that that they trust mm-hmm. and that helps me mm-hmm. to be able to do what I need to do but I was going to tell you I know I don't like cameras but I'm willing I will help you whatever you need to do to help other people mm-hmm. because because I know that God has given me a gift of to either help someone get mm-hmm. something started because I'm not strong enough to do it. Mm-hmm. But I believe in recovery, mm-hmm. and I know what it takes. I know that's the thing is I know my boundaries. I know what it takes. I know what causes me to use. I you know how stubborn you are. I know how stubborn <laughs> I am. I know it took me years and years to see why I was doing and what it, yeah. and what I need to do to fix it. I know yeah. I got the tools. Yeah. I just need help using them sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, well, you need community. You can't have will, all the tools and not have community. I will give, I will help you with anything to get anything mm-hmm. started. I will tell my story. Mm-hmm. And there's so many weight, different parts of my story that can help so many different yeah. things, you know? Right. And, you know. You have a purpose. Also, you have a purpose. And there's a reason why you, with all your health issues and as much dope as you've done, girl, most you you most people I should would be dead. You should be. I should have been dead the other night. The cops said I mean, you should have seen the levels of the crap that was in my body. I should have been dead when I went to the emergency room. And when they resuscitated you, yeah, I've been on. I've been in a coma. And it's so. I've, yeah, there's. I've there's driven a, backwards in, on um, in Dallas at uh, ten o'clock at night. I was driving backwards in, in a separate lane coming off a of, uh, heroin, oh and woke God. up and. and hit a guard thing and that's what woke me up and there was not wow. one person on the road that's a miracle wow not one and it was Dallas not one person was on the road wow. and for God to clear that highway for me because I you know I went all over it and I didn't even get soft I remember just pulled over and I slept it off and didn't even you know it's a miracle when I think about how many times God saved me sometimes I get there was times I got angry like oh why just mm-hmm. let me die well please, sure please you know I know there's a purpose for me, and I know that's why the enemy fights me so hard. That's right. Because I don't know what it is doing, but I want my life to end with a purpose. I want my life to end with saying that I helped somebody mm-hmm. get recovered. Because that's my heart. Mm-hmm. You're such a caretaker. One reason I'm in so much trouble is because I let people in my car, you know, eat me. Yeah. 
because I want to help all the hookers in Waco, and I know yeah. I know better than that because I wasn't at a place to do that. Yeah. I know I started going to relapse mode. I didn't get it from her, mm. but I started going to relapse mode the day that she mm-hmm. showed me all the meth that she had. I'm like, literally the physical mm-hmm. draw. Physically, my body started physically wanting, but I didn't because I mentally knew I did. You know, mm-hmm. but I still played that mind in my yeah. mind in my mind oh, over yeah. and over and over, mm-hmm. and. You know, it don't take anything. I mean, I can be anywhere and find it. That's not the problem at all. But being in Waco, I think it's more easily accessible because mm-hmm. I'm well-known. And yeah. I have a lot of old clientele that, you know, I just, I know how to get what I want. And yeah. But my main thing is I feel like the, a lot of times I don't tell people to say they don't make an excuse for using drugs. Well, number one. This this could be sound like an excuse, but it's really reality. So whatever you want to call it, my main reason for continuing to use and not get clean is because I don't have any hope after I get hope. Hmm. That's basically what it is. You don't have hope after you get hope. I get hope by going today, going to the nexus. Mm-hmm. That's hope. Okay. I don't have any hope after that because I don't have any. There's nothing. What do you mm-hmm. do then? Yeah. To the world, you're still the old same person. Mm-hmm. My family still don't trust me. Mm-hmm. My mom's just gaining that much trust, and if mm-hmm. she finds out, then she's going to be gone again. Mm-hmm. And my family may never. So, mm-hmm. I would just put on a piece of paper that I don't have family, that biological family, mm-hmm. that will ever support me because I can never depend that they will. And so, what do you do then? You, you, you have to prove trust to people. So, what do you do in the meanwhile? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Where do you go? You have no money. And if you have a record like me, you don't, good luck getting a job. Mm-hmm. And. Well, I think the grief, you know, is, is an interesting component. And so I do think, I know you hate counselors, but community helps because community, you're talking with people, you're engaging, you know, you're talking about some hard things. But, you know, I think you do have to acknowledge the work that grief, you know, has played. And, and that's been. Counselors are good. I I, I believe in counselors. It's just I have trust issues, and that's just something that I have to overcome. And I'm able to, like, get counseled a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you're not, maybe you're not a professional counselor, but (laughs) you probably helped me more than Definitely not a professional. Counselors helped me, you know. (laughs) I mean, because I have trust issues. I don't, Emily, you're the only one that I tell as much Mm -hmm. to. I probably wouldn't be, I wouldn't be getting help right now if I wouldn't have been honest. You knew that Mm -hmm. I relapsed. Well, you could, I think you kind of, I probably kind of got caught, but mm-hmm. you got caught, but, well, but, but you're honest, but you know, I mean, I mean, I know what I'm going to do between yeah. now and Friday. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, Brett's there. I know you're not going to lie to me. So, wow. That's, that's heavy stuff. It is. It's informational and it's. Um, insightful. It's so, so insightful. I think that for all of us, when we are looking for solutions, we have to listen to the voices that have been sidelined. Yeah. I, I think she exposes a lot of our bias. She exposes a lot of our ignorance when it comes to treatment facilities, when it comes to drug abuse and addiction. Um, and I just, I love her heart. I love her insight and I love her willingness to share. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, that's, so one of the, that's one of the beauties of Linda is just her kind, um, juvenile spirit about just mm. willing to talk about these issues. I mean, I, I can't get past, 
just that phrase when she said hope and then there's no hope. Yeah. I well, ha- honestly have never thought about it that way. It's like right. in, the, in the midst of the community, in the midst of the help, there's hope. And then when the program yes. ends, now what? That's right. And she's done this so many times, Brett. Like she knows the system. Right. She's like, in her mind, she's like, I know how this is all going to go down. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I got to do, you know, for now. But what's going to be there on the back end? Um, you know, one of the things, and this may sound silly, but how many pets have we had to find homes for? Or have we watched <laughs> ourselves? I mean, truly, pets are important. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people in recovery, that's one of those things that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, I think probably animal shelters think about it because I'm sure they get a lot of pets whose, you know, caretakers like have abandoned them or who have gone to jail or gone to rehab or prison or whatever. But, you know, truly like pets are healing and they become a source of attachment. And so to go to rehab, it becomes also the kind of like, I don't want to leave this. And it can also be like the excuse for not going. So I was having this conversation with our friend Summer that you guys know and her uh, sober living environment, Sunshine Recovery House. She actually said, Emily, I really want to do like a almost like a pet sitting for, you know, people who are going into rehab where we would almost have like a social enterprise for pet sitting and pet watching. Or that would um, be a gift to us for sure. (laughs) <laughs> for sure. Cause I can't so stand I, cats. I can't even think about keeping another cat. And the other thing that I think is a big deal is a ministry of many churches, which they could totally provide is like rides to rehab. Yes. Like, you know, finding transportation for individuals is huge. And individuals who maybe have a flexible work schedule, who could take off a day and drive somebody up to, you know, another city for relocation. I think Rides to Rehab would be an awesome ministry endeavor. Totally. I mean, um, I, th- I think about, you know, just our dear friend Don, who who took Linda to rehab. Yes, and just the two hours they had on the drive to Dallas to spend with each other and you know, is she going to get out of the car? Is she going to go to rehab? Is she going to, well, what's going to well, happen? And, I mean, yeah. And the truth is, is that those two hours turned into about four, mm. you know, because there was a lot of variables. And then, um, Linda ended up having such high blood pressure that the recovery place, the treatment facility couldn't admit her. So that's, that's why my time in Kentucky has been so divided because we've now been trying to source, where does she go in the meantime? Because that was a Friday morning. They sent her away to the hospital. The hospital got her blood pressure under control. They discharged her out into Dallas where no one was around. She didn't have anyone, you know, all the, all the shelters were full. So we had another agency, um, looking for shelters. They were texting me saying all the shelters are full. We can't find a place for Linda. Um, so we had one of our generous nurse practitioner and JSL volunteers come through and they are housing her until she can get to rehab again on Monday. But it's wow. just so many, yeah, so many moving pieces. Um, the other thing that I think is so important is, gosh, two things. First is she says jail is not the answer for people. Jail makes you hard and mad. And that really struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it really struck me because while it can be a wake up call, like I don't even think people in law enforcement think it's a solution. Like no, no judge is thinking like, yes, prison is the best answer all the way around or jail is the best answer. Um, but she says it, it, it just, yeah, it makes you hard and mad because it's really just confinement. It's a lack, you know, it's, it's not being restored to community. It's, it's keeping you on the outsides of it. And so she then says, love and encouragement can keep me somewhere. It can keep me off the streets, even through the physical pain. If I really feel I'm loved and I'm cared for, and I really feel like this person's got me, then they're going to take care of me. I can get clean. And that's said straight out of the mouth of someone who is still under the influence of the worst of the worst drugs. And yeah. I think that's what's powerful about that statement. I also think that's the conversation going on in our country today. I mean, you look at documentaries that talk about this prison system that we have currently is not mm-hmm. the answer. It, 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 is, it is not helping people. It is not rehabilitating people. It is not right. returning them back to society to be effective members of society. I mean, what's that research we've been talking about around the office lately about community is where it's at, that if, if addicts have adequate and fulfilling community, they're mm-hmm. the, 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 the need to go back to the drug significantly decreases. Yes, it does. Statistically that is proven. Um, there is research that's shown in like right now it's in rats right now, but the research basically is that, you know, if you give the rat the cocaine, then in isolation, the rat keeps going to the cocaine. Mm -hmm. But if you introduce the rat to community, the rat will choose community over cocaine. It's fascinating. It is. And, and I think we see so much evidence of that in humanity. Um, I, you know, I really just want us to understand holistically that because this is such deep, deep problem in our country and mental illness and trauma and all of it runs rampant. Addiction for sure is running rampant. We are the least community based country in the world. Hmm. We do not have a sense. It is rugged individualism and the fabric of family and community has been largely deteriorating over the last 200 years. And so um, I do think it's important for us to evaluate what that means for our future as a country and what it means for us to address the issues of addiction. So it's something that we're listening to. It's something that we're thinking about organizationally um, of how to fill the gaps and how to remove the obstacles from people so that we can learn to love. Well, we think about Jesus, and um, he was all about community, and he had yeah. significant community, and the freaking and out, maker of the yeah, world and, needed community. And com- yeah, and community outside his biological family. Yes. Right? Right. I mean, that's e- the even bigger thread is that this is so, it's so human. It's so, it's so much bigger than what we understand in just and, our narrow perspective. And community with people who were total screw ups. <laughs> right. They weren't the pretty people or the popular people. 
No. They were the total, I mean, just mess ups of, of the society they were living in. Those were the right. people he was friends with. And so the fact that, you know, we're friends with addicts and people who take their clothes off for money and yeah. do things that other people go, I can't believe she did that. Right. Um, we, we get to be community with those people. Right. And when we say things like that, it really just reveals our lack of awareness in our own story. Mm. Because if, if we understand our own story, then, then it helps us understand the depths of pain and suffering in other people. So, you know, I, I think that we give ourselves away when we say things like, I just don't get it. I just don't, I'm sorry. I just don't, you know, it's, that's a giveaway, you know? So I think I, I think about the people who are going to listen to this, and and I just want to encourage you. If you listen to this and you find yourself going, okay, well, you know, Linda said, she, you know, she's been on the needle since nineteen eighty something. Yeah. And and you find yourself in a position of judgment. I just want to encourage uh-huh. you to check yourself. Right. Because there's a reason, and and we haven't even remotely talked about Linda's backstory. No. Um, the fact that she puts a needle in her arm or her neck, it pales in comparison to the shit that she has lived through. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's no other word for it. I mean, it's yeah. just her story is one of the most significant trauma. Um, I would put a needle in my neck as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, truly, it's... <laughs> It is more safe than than what was put inside her from right. a child, right. right? It just truly. Um, I think what I also want our listeners to know is we're going to be catching you up to um, up to speed a little bit as the story progresses, and um, so that you can hear what post twenty eight day treatment if she makes it through those twenty eight days. Um, you know, be praying, be lifting Linda up in your prayers. And, uh, this is a battle. We understand that it is spiritual warfare as much as it is physiological. Um, so we would ask for all the prayers to go up as Most we continue, continue to walk with her. So from a timeline perspective, today is April the 5th, the 6th, April, the, Saturday, April the 6th, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And then in about 30 days, we'll, you know, Lord willing, yeah. however things transpire, we'll visit with Linda again and see what's happening. Yeah. We'll get an update. Well. All right. This is, um, I got to be honest. I mean, I feel like, you know, we've been in this almost 16 years now and I feel like there comes a point when I'm like, okay, I've got this, I've heard everything. And then all of a sudden I listen to this conversation between you and Linda and I think I'm still so far away. Right. This is just, it's so huge. And she teaches me so much about myself and my biases uh-huh. and my, just the stuff I still need to work through that my judgmentalness. And, um, she's such a dear, dear soul. And it, you know, it pains you to see someone move through this kind of hurt and trauma and, um, to be able to try to understand her a little more is a gift. So thanks for even thinking about recording this conversation you had with her. I think it's, it's, I mean, if for nothing else, it's helped me. Oh yeah. It helps me too. And just, I'm so grateful for her courage and just her idea to say, I, I want to go on record. <laughs> so she, you know, I want to go on record and I love that she started it. 
this is what I see. Yeah. I mean, that's what we call this podcast. This is what I see. Um, mm, that's good. It's yeah. It's so important. It's how she starts a conversation and it's how we need to have our focus change. So thanks for joining us. And I hope that you will tune in, continue to leave a review, continue to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Um, we are so thankful and we would love to hear more of your questions. If you want to email us, uh, the link is on the website and ask away, ask any questions you want. Nothing is off limits uh, for us to hear and engage with. So we would love your input. I can't wait for you to come home. I miss you. <laughs> I know. I'm ready to be in my own bed. I miss you too, babe. And I hope that Hattie brings home a big trophy. Me too. Well, we're knocked out of the gold bracket today, but we're headed to the silver bracket tomorrow. Oh, no. Tomorrow. Did we lose today? We lost today. Oh. I know. They were on fire yesterday, but we played some really good teams. We really did. And um, they weren't quite themselves. They were a little bit shook, but we'll Uh-oh. get back on the track tomorrow, and hopefully we'll come home with the silver win. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your time in Kentucky. And I'm, I've got the fort held down here in Waco. We're doing fine. And, <laughs> thanks, um, babe. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review Yes, because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.